There is something I want to take a moment to talk about. Something I care about deeply. It's also something I spend most of my day thinking and talking about because it's a huge part of what I do for work. And that is the importance of a functioning democracy. I know there's been bad news on this front lately and it can be tempting to tune it all out, but it's important we stay engaged. The good news is there are tangible ways we can all help to fix things. Here's one way. A bunch of us in the podcast community have partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan organization to spread the word about efforts to protect our elections and pass laws that will make our government truly of, by, and for the people. We are doing this because America and many other countries are facing urgent democratic threats. In the U.S., 19 states have passed laws last year that make it harder to vote. Election workers are quitting in droves because of threats and harassment. And there is a coordinated campaign to put people in charge of our elections that do not believe in democracy. But again, there are things we can do together, all of us, to ensure free and fair elections or to achieve free and fair elections. If you care about the state of our democracy like we do, like I do, like Proud Stutter does, it's time for all of us, independents, progressives, even conservatives, and yes, disability justice podcasters, to put country over party and take a stand. Head to represent.us slash podcast to learn more. I'm Maya Chupkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. And I'm Cynthia Chin, Maya's longtime friend, and I know nothing about stuttering. And this is Proud Stutter, a podcast about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. Welcome back to Proud Stutter. Today we have guest Frank H. Gunther. Frank is a professor of speech, language, and hearing sciences at Boston University. Frank, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. So I know you have been focusing recently on the underlying causes of stuttering, but before we get into all of that, can you tell us about what led you to become a neuroscientist? Uh, sure. So I studied electrical engineering uh, as an undergraduate and uh, a master's student and then worked for a couple of years at an engineering firm, uh, decided I was really interested in the brain and kind of wanted to get a job that gave me a little more creativity and a little more, uh, uh, yeah, just more mystery to solve uh, as opposed to solving uh, problems that were uh, fairly well solved already. And so going into neuroscience uh, at that time uh, allowed me to do that because uh, not that much was known, especially about speech in the brain. Uh, but around the time I started graduate school, neuroimaging uh, in the form of uh, MRI uh, was developed. And so it was a very exciting time where uh, lots was being learned and uh, there was a lot of room for discovery. Wow, that's amazing. So when did you start kind of using MRIs as a part of your studies? 
Uh, in the 1990s, uh, around 1998, we uh, ran our first MRI study. Uh, I had actually uh, friends that worked in one of the first imaging centers that did functional brain imaging at Mass General Hospital. And uh, this uh, allowed me to uh, work my way into the uh, system. And uh, I was able to uh, complete a study and use that to get some grant funding to continue work. Uh, which I'm still doing to this day, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's wild how far we've come with technology. I'm I'm surprised that you were working on it way back in the 90s. It feels like new technology to me. Yeah, that uh, Mass- Massachusetts General Hospital was actually one of the first centers to do uh, this sort of imaging uh, prior to MRI. Uh, uh, positron emission tomography or PET had been used to do the very first speech study, which was around 1988. As far as the history of stuttering research goes. Can you give us a summary of like the history of stuttering research and how far it's come? What are like the current research studies being done and what's what's being explored right now? And also what other mysteries are still out there around stuttering? So uh, stuttering uh, occurs pretty much in every culture uh, with a spoken language, which all human cultures have. Uh, So people have known about it uh, uh, pretty much uh, since the the beginning of modern humans and uh, even the ancient uh, Greeks and Romans uh, uh, were interested in it, uh, had some rough ideas about what might be happening, but uh, uh, Really, uh, for centuries, uh, 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 little was known about stuttering. There's no obvious. So if you look at the brain of somebody who uh, stuttered after they die, there's nothing obvious in the brain that uh, gives you any clue to why they uh, stuttered. And uh, when I started, actually, uh, in the 1990s, Uh, It was only fairly recent that uh, most people in the field thought of it as something of uh, neurogenic uh, 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 origin. So uh, a lot of uh, thinking at the time was that it was something stress related or uh, uh, that it was a a psychological thing that it wasn't uh, uh, there was no real neural basis for. And that is we know now uh, not true, but. Uh, even then, as late as the you know late twentieth century, people were still uh, many people were skeptical about whether there was uh, something truly causing stuttering in the brain that it was actually a neurological disorder. Uh, uh, that had begun to change, and uh, what we uh, believe to be the case now is that it involves a brain uh, region called the basal ganglia. And uh, that had actually been suggested in the early 20th, uh, early 20th century, uh, but not really followed up upon uh, until uh, much later. Uh, then around uh, uh, 2000, uh, a very influential paper was put together by a Swedish uh, scientist named Per Alm, who wrote a paper uh, that's published in 2004, which basically uh, reviewed all the available literature on uh, uh, associations between stuttering and various uh, physiological and other behavioral uh, uh, measures and came down uh, with the view that stuttering had something to do with the basal ganglia, 
being impaired in its ability to generate timing signals for speech, for, for generating, for initiating our speech production. Uh, we know now from many of the monkey studies uh, that have been done in basal ganglia that there are signals in the basal ganglia that do things like uh, uh, signal the end of a, a, a movement. Uh, and this sort of signal is important for starting the next movement. And our work has kind of uh, taken that uh, basic idea and tried to flesh it out uh, within the framework of a, a model that we've developed over the years uh, that accounts for speech production in the uh, neurologically typical case. And now we're using the model in uh, recent years to investigate disorders of speech. Uh, so you may have heard of deep learning, for example, or uh, uh, deep networks. Uh, these are a form of neural network. And so uh, I had been trained in, in graduate school as a neural modeler, somebody who actually uh, develops equations and runs computer simulations of networks of neurons interacting with the, each other and producing behaviors. And I started out studying arm movements. Uh, there is a lot more uh, available neurophysiological data for arm movements because monkeys move their arms, uh, but they don't speak. Uh, and I had developed a model of uh, arm movements uh, uh, in humans and uh, became interested in speech as kind of a parallel to the arm movement system and became intrigued uh, with it and uh, uh, pretty much switched my focus over to speech production. And stuttering is one that's particularly interesting to me because partly because it's so poorly understood it it's it's, it's very common one percent of adults across the world and pretty much every culture stutter and yet we still have you know not the greatest uh, understanding of what's happening i think i think we've had a lot of improvement in what we uh, know about it uh, in recent years because of uh, neuroimaging and because of modeling uh, work like we've done and uh, uh, now I think uh, it's a really uh, good time for us to really uh, kind of uh, flesh out what, what we think is going wrong and uh, yeah, uh, and really finally truly understand what, what causes stuttering. Uh, the other issue with stuttering that makes it difficult to study is uh, as you uh, get older, if you're a person who stutters, you'll often develop secondary behaviors that uh, become associated and they become part of your stuttering movements. But many of those are probably not causing stuttering. They're more of a, a kind of response to stuttering. And so we are collaborating with uh, colleagues at the University of Michigan, uh, Dr. Suan Chang and her lab, where uh, they are performing uh, neuroimaging studies on children. And now we're starting to get to the point where uh, they can run functional studies where they actually have uh, the kids producing words in the scanner. And this allows us to measure their brain activity at this crucial stage where they're first uh, uh, starting to develop stuttering behaviors if they're a, a child who will end up uh, uh, stuttering later as an adult. Wow, that was a great summary. I honestly, like, I don't know if I've ever heard that history kind of verbalized before in that way. So thank you for that great summary. I was curious because you mentioned that when you become an adult and you, you know, are are still stuttering um, and you 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 adapt these different behaviors as a result of stuttering. And then you're you're you know, you're unable to 
to see, you know, which came first, right? Like, right. is it the stutter or is it the behavior? Is there any correlation between, you know, these behavioral developments and whether or not someone has the ability to kind of develop a more fluent speech pattern and, you know, versus people who are, um, who, you know, continue to stutter, stutter into their adult life? Yeah, so one of the things uh, we're doing uh, with uh, collaborative work is kind of following the longitudinal trajectory. Dr. Chang's lab is running a longitudinal neuroimaging study uh, that uh, is collecting data uh, at several time points as children progress. And one of the unique things about their work is they, uh, because of this longitudinal design, uh, they're able to look at children who started stuttering but uh, recovered and compare their brains. And we've uh, done studies together where we've identified regions of the brain that seem to correlate with your ability to recover from stuttering uh, in children. So uh, some of the key structures uh, in the brain are, uh, so uh, are there, they're different in a way uh, uh, that's unique to the children who recover compared to both children who don't recover, but also compared to neurotypical children. So there's something unique about their brains. Yeah, we we got actually a few questions from our, our listeners that were interested in this topic. I did notice that um, studying those w- with, with Parkinson's um, c- came up in your re- research. And I'm curious about that because my fiance's mom has 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 Parkinson's. Parkinson's disease involves the same brain area that we believe to be the root of the problem in stuttering, uh, and uh, there are other disorders. Uh, it's a very complicated brain area in that a, a wide range of behaviors seem to be affected by function inside this basal ganglia circuit, and uh, Parkinson's uh, disease uh, when. Uh, when you look at the literature on, uh, you know, co-occurrence of Parkinson's, for example, and stuttering, what you find is that onset of Parkinson's disease in some people can cause stuttering to recur that they had as children but went away, uh, and then they get Parkinson's disease and the stuttering comes back. Uh, conversely, there are people who started stuttering when they got Parkinson's disease. And then uh, if you look at the treatments to Parkinson's disease, they can either alleviate or exacerbate stuttering depending on the individual. Wow. So it, it sounds like in your research, you found a lot of you found a lot of correlations between, you know, maybe other uh, illnesses and stuttering. Why is it that you think that there still isn't a definitive answer to what causes stuttering? Well, uh, part of it is, uh, as I alluded to earlier, is because there's no very obvious brain uh, problem. And uh, in recent years, a number of studies have been done, especially on adults, which has its own problems uh, that I've alluded to also, uh, where the adults have a mixture of, of the primary cause of stuttering as well as the, the secondary consequences. But uh, these studies, uh, each study seems to find some problem, some what we would call anomaly, some different uh, different pattern uh, than normal in the brains of people who stutter. But the problem is that one, from one study to the other, the exact brain areas involved seem to differ. So uh, there's a kind of a lack of consistency across studies. And I think personally, this is because 
uh, uh, stuttering is really a, a disorder that occurs at a, a system level, like a circuit level, and that different parts of the circuit in, could be uh, having issues in different people. So one part of the circuit might cause stuttering in, in uh, one person, whereas a different part might cause stuttering in, in a different way. Uh, and so what this is getting at is that there are probably subtypes of stuttering that we will eventually need to separate out if we truly want to understand the behavior, because otherwise we, we just keep seeing variability from study to study. Overall, we see, for example, most of the studies show some weakening of left hemisphere connectivity, but it's different uh, connections in different people's brains. And from study to study, they don't always find the same uh, uh, regions. And so uh, I think the fact that stuttering is this circuit level problem, it's a fairly subtle problem. It's not a complete shutdown of a system. It's uh, a, a subtle uh, 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 malfunction that crops up every now and then, but isn't, uh, isn't there all of the time. Fascinating. Um, so we have a few listener questions. Um, I told a bunch of our listeners that we were going to be talking with you today. Just to preface this, I'm part of a covert stuttering women's group, and we meet like every other week um, and just talk about stuttering and how we're all doing. And one of the things that um, all of us actually, m that most of us have in common is we're all either bilingual or multilingual. And so I'm wondering if there is any neuroscience explanation for whether learning multiple languages in early childhood may predispose someone to stuttering. That's very interesting as a possibility. I am not aware of uh, studies that have shown that uh, this is a consistent thing, but one possibility. Uh, so one of the things that the, the basal ganglia has to do uh, for fluent speech is it has to recognize exactly when you're just about to finish the last thing that you you did. So if I'm saying a word and I say the first phoneme in the word, the first sound in the word, uh, I have to, uh, for the basal ganglia to release the second sound, it has to recognize this very precise context uh, involving things like I'm moving at a certain rate and I have a certain tactile pattern and I expect this tactile pattern. Uh, all of those uh, conditions have to be met. And then the basal ganglia says, OK, time for the next uh, sound to come out. And uh, the, I could imagine that if you learn multiple languages, that problem could be exacerbated. Like it's even harder to now recognize the right context because there's kind of crosstalk between the languages. Maybe there are similar sounds, or uh, uh, somehow it's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, somehow it's making it, that job harder uh, to recognize the proper context for generating the, the next sound. And uh, uh, it's entirely possible that uh, being multilingual uh, exacerbates that slightly. Yeah, I remember I my first language was Hebrew and. When I started speaking in English, that's when my stuttering happened. Yeah. And most uh, people who stutter as children do recover, uh, especially women. In fact, uh, roughly an equal number of uh, boys and girls develop stuttering initially, but most women recover and fewer men recover. And so by, uh, uh, you know, eight or 10 years of age, 
there's bias toward having uh, a male-female uh, prevalence in stuttering that gets, uh, it's pretty high up to three or four to one, uh, the likelihood that a male will stutter compared to a female will stutter. And it could well be that there are somewhat different mechanisms that, uh, occurring. As I mentioned, the basal ganglia is a complicated thing and there could be different subtypes. Well, uh, there appears to be something about male and female brains that are different that predisposes males uh, to stuttering. Uh, and so females may uh, be more resistant to certain certain types of uh, uh, stuttering, uh, but may be slightly more uh, uh, likely to get to stutter due to a different uh, uh, problem. So one of the things that uh, researchers tend to do is uh, try to look at as uniform a sample as possible, um, which means looking at males because there are so many male, more males that stutter. And I think uh, relatively little research has been done uh, uh, in females who stutter for that reason. Um, uh, as children, they're being, uh, their brains are being scanned. And one of the things that we hope to see, to learn from uh, our collaboration with the Chang Lab is uh, whether there are different uh, developmental trajectories for males and females that that might give us more insight into what's happening here and why it's more likely that a male will continue to stutter uh, uh, compared to a female who's, who stuttered as a child as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I feel like I would go directly to the females and study them first if they <laughs> if yeah. they start off at the same, you know. Uh, so I think that's, it's, that's really yeah. interesting. It's kind of a practical issue because it, it it's always difficult to get enough subjects for these sorts of studies, and so we right, we right. we enroll both males and females. Uh, you know, whatever answers the ad, whoever answers the ads for our studies, we we look at them. Um, but then we'll do a separate uh, uh, analysis for each group. But often there's not enough, there aren't enough females in our groups to do a, uh, you know, to get a good statistical power uh, for comparison. So uh, that's one of the issues that, and that's why, you know, that's the main reason why you see far more uh, studies looking at males. Uh, in NIH research now, though, they require you to justify why you would use one group versus another, and they require you to do analyses separately. Right, yeah, that's that's great that the NIH has guidelines like that, because I know that historically that's been an issue with sure. women being understudied, right? Exactly, yeah. Frank, thank you so much. It really, as someone who stutters, knowing the science, especially what's going on inside the body is just really helpful in me as a stutter because sometimes I I get so um I get so caught up in in my stutter and sometimes when I think no this is just the way my brain is wired this is something that I can't control this is something that is physiologically different or just and you know and that really gives me peace of mind in coming to terms with my stuttering and accepting it so I really appreciate all the work you're doing because personally as someone who stutters it means so much that you're so you're so committed to finding the causes of stuttering that maybe can really impact generations of 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 people who stutter in 
the, the future. That's great to hear. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been uh, a lot of fun. And that's it for this episode. I'm Maya. And I'm Cynthia. And you've been listening to Proud Stutter. This episode of Proud Stutter was produced by me, Maya Chupkov. And edited by me, Cynthia Chin. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of future episodes, find us on Twitter at Proud Stutter. You can also find us at www.proudstutter.com. Drop us a note or share a voice memo. What's your stuttering story? What topics would you like us to cover? And what are you curious about? And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. More importantly, tell your friends to listen too. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you.